You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Hello, Colts Nation, and welcome to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Joe Hopkins, and with me is Mike Chappell. And today we're going to discuss the undefeated Jeff Saturday, head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, who got his first win on Sunday by beating the Raiders in Las Vegas. We'll recap the exciting game, discuss takeaways of which there are many, and we'll reassess expectations for the rest of the year. But before we get into it, Mike, how are you doing? Pretty good. Again, uh, it's amazing how the NFL is a a seven-day life cycle. I don't care how crazy the previous week was or whatever. So it, it was, I was heading into that game. I wasn't optimistic, but I was curious and they didn't, uh, they, they didn't disappoint me. They did not. I mean, uh, none of us were optimistic. We all three, you, me and Dave picked the Colts to lose on Thursday and uh, we were all very wrong. Let's go ahead and discuss one, this. One, one, one thing. And we, I, I told you this off, off air before we went on. I so much wanted to pick the Colts in, in my in our uh, my Sunday preview that I do on Saturday, but after going on on our podcast, and then we shot a segment for the, the Sunday TV show, and I picked the, I picked the Raiders. I just couldn't I couldn't straddle a fence like that, but you just had a feeling that there'd be a boost. And then when he went, when, when he went back to Matt Ryan, I really thought there was a good chance they would they would win that game. Yeah, that was surprised me going back to Matt Ryan here. Um, he uh, Jeff Saturday, that is, on the Monday presser said that Ellinger would be the starter for the game, but Matt Ryan able to return to practice Thursday from his shoulder injury and must have looked good enough to change Saturday's mind. No Shaq Leonard in this one. He was placed on injured reserve Friday with an apparent setback with the ankle-slash-back-slash-nerve injury, and we'll discuss that more in depth later in the show. But right now, the Colts in Las Vegas um, against the 2-6 and six Raiders. Colts coming in with a 3-5-1 record. Both teams begin the game by going 3-and-out. and out. On the Colts' second drive, the offense gets rolling. A heavy dose of Michael Pittman Jr. and Jonathan Taylor get Indianapolis into Raiders territory. Then a 32-yard catch and run by Kylan Granson sets the Colts up at the 11. First down, Colts up the middle for seven. Second down, JT stuffed for a one-yard loss, bringing up a key third and four. Matt Ryan scans the field, dumps it off to Taylor, who muscles his way for the first down. We have a first and goal at the one. Las Vegas called for too many men on the field, so that ball inches a little bit closer. First and goal, really just roughly a foot outside of the goal line. The Colts will go with a quarterback sneak, and Matt Ryan crosses the uh, goal line there to get into the end zone. The Colts take a 7 to nothing lead in the first quarter. Mike, I'm not used to this. The Colts had no first quarter points in their previous six games. What is happening? Well, I, I know it. And what's crazy is, is that the only other first quarter touchdown they had scored was against Kansas City, remember? And it was the muff punt, so they had first and goal to four. So it's just amazing how much – two things. It's amazing how well an offense can run when you can run and when you can pass protect. It's it's just – everything is open up to you. And when you can sustain things, remember in, in New England, they were 0-14 on third down and 0-2 on fourth down. This the, the, the offense is all about continuity and rhythm, and three and outs just kill you, just kill you. So convert, I think they, they, I think they may have opened the game four out of five. I'm, I'd have to look at my notes. But sustain things, get the running game going, and then the entire playbook's open to you. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And then meanwhile, the Colts' defense continues to do its job. They force a three and out on Las Vegas's first three drives. Indianapolis's third possession now. They're looking to extend their lead. A screen to JT gets 12 yards out the gate. Three plays later, the Colts are facing a third and 11. Matt Ryan has time in the pocket. Imagine that and finds Paris Campbell over the middle for 15 yards. Zach Moss, the running back the Colts acquired in the Naheem Hines trade, gets involved. Four-yard run up the middle. 
then Taylor for 13. Pittman game seven on a pass to the left, and we have a second and three at Las Vegas's 30. They go to Taylor again, but he's stuffed for no gain. Third and three. Matt Ryan goes to Pittman at the sticks, but aggressive coverage, we'll just call it aggressive, is there to knock it away incomplete. Chase McLaughlin comes out a field goal from 48 yards away, and it's good. 10 to nothing. The Colts early in the second quarter have a nice lead. Raiders now trying to respond, and they finally pick up a first down. Fourth straight, Josh Jacobs touches, gets Vegas to midfield. Devontae Adams then games seven on first down. But then the Colts able to stuff the Raiders' runs, brings up fourth and two at Indy's 44. The Raiders go for a pitch to Jacobs, and Kenny Moore comes knifing in to bring him down for a third-yard loss. Kenny Moore had seven tackles in this one, none bigger than that. Colts take over now at the 47. After a first down on the ground, Matt Ryans finds Kiki Cootie for his first catch of the year. Cootie darts upfield for a 20-yard gain, but loses the football. The defensive back knocks it out on the tackle, and it's recovered by the Raiders. The Colts had an opportunity to go up three scores, and instead, Mike, they have yet another turnover in scoring position. I was looking at the participation chart. Kiki was on the field for one offensive snap. One. And he's had he's had some ball security issues. He's muffed a couple of punts, or muffed one and fumbled another one. So, just unfortunate. And and you're gonna tell us how this thing ended up, but I'll give a sneak a sneak. That's their 18th turnover, 18th. And opponents have scored 70 points on it, so they probably scored on this one. Yeah, and they sure did. Vegas uh, kind of sparked by the turnover, would go on a 12-play, 79-yard drive that ended with a four-yard touchdown pass to Foster Moreau on third and run, third and one, that is. The Raiders cut the lead to three. 58 seconds left in the half. The Colts have two timeouts. Three consecutive passes um, to, I believe, Kylan Granson gets the Colts to midfield. Timeout called. An illegal contact penalty on the Raiders, gets Colts five yards closer. Then Taylor runs up the middle for six. Colts hurry to the line. Matt Ryan throws it away. Incompletion stops the clock with 11 seconds left. They run it again with Taylor up the middle. He gains nine, and they use their final timeout. McLaughlin comes back out and connects again from 48 yards. The Colts extend the lead to six, 13 to seven at the halftime. Mike, the Colts' first halftime lead of the season since Christmas since, <laughs> since Christmas you know so one thing that was really I, I'm gonna give JT credit if he saw a bigger hole and kept trying to pick up yards the half runs out so he picked up nine and had the wherewithal to get down I think he went down with three seconds to play I think so and I'm sitting there watching that game and they took over to 25-yard line with 58 seconds to play. And you're wondering, with, with them getting the ball second half, do you just really be conservative? And they weren't. So I kind of like the aggression they showed. Sort of caution, cautious aggression. And maybe that's what we're going to see with Jeff Saturday. Yeah, and, you know, we saw a lot of Kylan Granson in this one as well. He had a very nice game uh, for the Colts and really helped set up that field goal. Indianapolis with the ball to start the third quarter, and the offense is moving again. A couple solid gains on Jordan Wilkins' runs brings up a third and one at Vegas' 16. Play action. Ryan has Granson wide open in the flat, but instead holds the ball, tries to elude pressure, and goes backwards, loses 14 yards on the sack. This time, McLaughlin's 48-yard field goal hits the goalpost, and the Colts come away with nothing. Mike, Ryan has to be better in that situation. Yeah, that, that's where you just get rid of it. You say, okay, they won that. It was a third and one. You just have to say they won that one. And don't make a what would have been a, like a 34-yard field goal, a 48-yard field goal. And I'm sure when, they, when, when he reviews film, he says, yeah, that's one that I just didn't handle. One of the few plays, I think, all game that he didn't handle right. But that's one the quarterback just has got to get rid of the ball. Yeah, get rid of the ball. I mean, I get it. You know, you can't see the whole field at once. Even the best quarterbacks of all time will miss open players. But, man, Granson was open with room to run uh, down on the right flat there. Uh, regardless, Colts 
after the missed field goal, uh, this opportunity leads to another Raiders touchdown. Vegas methodically worked their way down the field on a 12-play, 62-yard drive. Jacobs punched it in from one yard out, and the Raiders now take the lead 14-13. Vegas, at this point, is on a 14-3 run. The Colts need to respond. Boy, does Jonathan Taylor respond in a big way. On second and six, Taylor darts up the middle, and he's off to the races. No one's going to catch him. 66-yard touchdown for Taylor, his longest of the season. Mike, we've been waiting for this all year. Well, we, we've been waiting for JT to have a chance to get to the second level, to not be avoiding or eluding guys in the backfield, not getting stuffed, or having to pile through uh, a congested line. So they gave him a nice hole. If I remember not, if I remember right, uh, Ryan Kelly pushes one linebacker out, and then Braden Smith just caved in the rest of the line. And once you get a quality back in the open field, I mean, he, he, he sort of turned, the, I think it was a safety around. One thing I was kind of wondering the last few weeks is would he ever be able to recapture his, his speed because of the ankle? You know, you can be effective but not have that breakaway speed. They didn't catch him. I mean, he ran away, and uh, the Colts put out a stat that that's his, is it his fourth 60-yard touchdown of his career? And it I must miss that one. And it, it ties Lenny Moore for the most in franchise history. I think it's four. Or whatever it is, he, he's now tied for the franchise uh, record for that. But that's we talked to Jeff Saturday on, on Friday, and I asked him, I said, what, what does, an obvious question, but what, what does J, a healthy JT do for you? He said, man, you, if you block it up and you get him to the second level, th- then great players do great things. And that's what we saw. Yeah, great to see out of Taylor. Really uh, hadn't had a game like this since week one, and even week one he didn't break um, a big one like this. So that, that, that's what you want to see as a Colts fan. After the touchdown, the Colts f- go for two to make it a seven-point lead. Ryan has nobody open and just has to throw it at Taylor's feet, 19-14, with one minute left in the third, and the Colts would enter the fourth quarter with the lead for the first time this season. A bit of a theme since, in this game. Since Christmas. Since Christmas. Christmas. I hope you enjoyed Christmas because after Christmas, not a lot of good things happened. No, but the Colts uh, made some good things happen in this game. After allowing back-to-back touchdown drives, Indianapolis defense stiffens up and forces a three and out. But Las Vegas special teams were key here because the Raiders had a good kick return that they brought out to the 38 and a good punt. They were able to down the ball at the Colts' five-yard line putting Indianapolis's back up against their own end zone. The Colts do all they can just to prevent a safety, and they punt it away. Matt Hawk's 40-yard punt then puts the Raiders in Colts' territory to start their next drive. No gain on first and second down, but on third and 10, Derek Carr buys time and finds Devontae Adams open over the middle. Julian Blackman slips on the play, and Adams does the rest, runs it into the end zone, a 48-yard touchdown, and Raiders... Uh, go for two as well, but their attempt is no good. It's now 20 to 19. Colts down by one point with 11 minutes left. The teams would trade punts, and there's now eight minutes to go. The Colts' offense has done nothing since the third quarter. They quickly face a third and three. Matt Ryan steps up in the pocket and finds nothing but green grass in front of him. He gallops for 39 yards, nearly double. His previous career high. The Colts have a first down at the Las Vegas 36. Ryan back to using his arm. A nine-yard pass to Michael Pittman Jr., who fumbles. The Raiders dive on it but are unable to crowd the ball. Pittman comes streaking back into the frame and gets back on top of it, recovers his own fumble. That effort, Mike, very may have well saved this game for the Colts. Can you imagine Michael Pittman's demeanor if he doesn't get on the ball he's had fumbles in the last two or three games costly costly fumbles so great play if the Raider guy I I don't remember the number I think it was a linebacker just tries to follow or just falls on the ball instead of tries instead of trying to scoop it up then maybe we're not having this discussion today I don't know but it's maybe this is one of those times where they they were due uh, to get some good fortune 
They fumbled the ball 23 times this year. That's ridiculous in 10 games. That, you know, it's two and a half a game. But uh, in this instance, uh, they got on it, and, and, and then some magic happened. Yeah, something they need to correct. But um, we'll, we'll talk about that later because that magic you're referring to, the very next play, Matt Ryan, it's Paris Campbell who takes a short pass over the middle and goes all the way to the house. 35-yard touchdown for Campbell. Career high, 76 receiving yards on the day. We're finally seeing what Paris can do when healthy. He's now, what was he, 7 for 76, I think, in the game, nine targets. He's now 39 catches, 373, and 3. In his first three years, 34 catches, 360, and 2. So he's he surpassed his career. We said all along, uh, back in the offseason and training camp, I always considered him that wild card. Because how can you, how, how can you even – realistically expect anything from him by the time he's missed he's just getting better and better they're 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 getting him on those crossers and letting him use his size and speed and that's what good teams do that's what i think frank tried to do at times this year parks Frazier really did it and you know we, we go back to Devontae adams big big play jt's big play this one that's what in games like this, your big players make plays. I'd put Matt Ryan in that, but he, you know we're not going to expect 39 yards from him very often. You know, the last time he did that was 20 yards in 2010. But it's just really great to see Paris Campbell stepping up and staying healthy and being a factor. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in a game where you know Alec Pierce, who had come up big in the past. This season really got nothing going. Uh, zero catches for Pierce on the day. But after the Campbell touchdown, the Colts retake the lead, and they're going for two. They opt to pass again, and Matt Ryan doesn't see anything he likes. He dumps it off to Taylor, who bobbles the ball. A couple of Raiders got their hands on it as well. I saw a pick two coming on that one. Yeah, I've been waiting to see a pick, too. Uh, thankfully, it did not happen in this instance. Uh, so the lead remains five points. It's 25-20 to 20 with five minutes left in the ball game. The Raiders, ideally, would like to score a touchdown with no time left, and they nearly pull it off. 14-play drive takes four minutes and 20 seconds off the clock as Vegas, again, slowly works down the field. Just two weeks ago, we saw this Colts defense give up a game-winning touchdown against Washington. Vegas, they make it to the Colts' 16-yard line. Third and seven, Carr hits his tight end in the end zone, but it's knocked out of his hands at the last moment by Bobby O'Karake. An outstanding play to save the game. There aren't a lot of linebackers in the league who can do that. Fourth down now, do or die. We all know where this is going. Colts bring an all-out blitz. Carr throws it up to Devontae Adams in the end zone, and Stephon Gilmore knocks it away. Great defense, seals the game for the Colts' first win since week six. Week six. Final score, 25-20, to 20. an exciting finish in this one. And you know what else gets me excited? The hometown team. Need new windows? Contact your hometown team today. Hometown Window and Doors are Central Indiana's premier, locally-owned, full-service Anderson Window dealer with master installers. From design to installation, the hometown team handles it all. They carry unlimited options with competitive pricing. Call them direct to get 25% off your windows if you call within the next 60 days. Hometown Windows and Doors gives you all the perks of a national brand with a hometown feel. Visit them at hometownwindowteam.com today. All right, Mike, it's time for takeaways now. We got to start with Jeff Saturday and play caller Parks Frazier. Let's not forget him either. They both got the job done. The national media really trashed the hire all week, calling it a disgrace, calling it disrespectful to the coaching profession. I understand the criticism from her for an out-of-the-box hire, but some of it went a little too far. So, I mean, there were guys bad-mouthing Saturday just for accepting the job. What we saw out there, I get it was against 
the Raiders who, you know, they're one of the few teams who have had a worse season than the Colts this year. But what we saw of this Colts team was one of their best performances of the year. Mike, the floor is yours. What are your thoughts? It was unconventional. It was unique. It was outside the box. I wouldn't have done it. I, I, I guess not so much that that it was disrespectful. I just thought it would have, it made more sense to keep it in house and then bring Jeff in as O line coach or whatever, whatever. But but nationally, it was just crazy how it spiraled out of control. It was almost like the louder you talk, the more people paid attention, which unfortunately is where we are in today's media. And then Bill Cowher goes on CBS and says, you know, it, what happened in Indianapolis was a travesty. You know, it, it, it's not like Jim Ursay hired Jeff Saturday to come in and, and perform open-heart surgery on one of his daughters. You know, that's not what we're talking about. And it's probably apples and oranges, but I believe Bill Cowher jumped the line to get his job on CBS. Tony Romo jumped the line to get his job in the booth. Tony Romo didn't do th- those 9 o'clock Saturday night college games and work your way up. So everybody everybody can point to something. But I just thought the uh, national f- ruckus w- was just over the top. And you, 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 can, you can be right about something, about how it's unconventional. You know, was get Gus Bradley upset? W- w- was John Fox upset? Was, was Bubba Ventrone upset? I don't know. There may have been a, a little... I don't know, but but you get over it. And, and I just, you know, let, let's let this thing play out and see where it goes. But but to take this holier-than-now approach when there are so many instances of somebody jumping the line. And, it, but, and again, this is not like Jeff Saturday was, was back in North Carolina at that electrical supply store in 1999. This guy is a 14-year veteran. He, he knows the game. Now, what he lacks is, is coaching experience, which I understand, but the over-the-top nature of it was just insane. But unfortunately, that's where we are in today's media. The louder you are, the more people they think pay attention. Yeah, I, I, and I mean, we even had our own critiques uh, on the podcast on Thursday. It was, I mean, how many times did Dave use the word baffling? And I think that's a good way to describe it. You can critique Jim Irsay's decision to hire Jeff Saturday and his thought process that led him to thinking that Jeff Saturday was the best guy for the job or at least the best guy he could get for the job. But when I saw some people come after Saturday for just accepting the position, that's when I thought it went too far. Um, it's one thing to say, this doesn't make sense to me. I don't follow the logic on this. And it's another thing to say, how can you accept this amazing opportunity when you know so many other people would also love that opportunity? I I get it. It It's not always fair. So much of life is about who you know, and that's, that's unfair to a lot of people at a lot of times. But to call this a travesty and a disgrace, um, when you, you know, it's only a travesty and a disgrace if it doesn't work out if Jeff Saturday falls flat on his face and you can go yeah I saw that one coming but he's one to know so far and if he's able to rally this team to a decent finish and who knows what happens after the season but if he decides to keep the job and Ursay decides to keep him and goes on to have a nice career I mean there's a lot of people who are going to have to eat their words well and keep in mind when we talk about jumping the line Reggie Wayne came here with zero coaching experience zero now Cato June had he he worked his way up, but it it this it was an anomaly because it was a head coach. That's where it was. But got, you know former players are named position coaches or whatever all the time. The uniqueness and the baffling. Dave had the right word. Baffling is is the best word. It was the fact that you put a guy in control who has not been in control at at, at high school or only at the high school level for for three years. But yeah, let's see how this plays out, and you know maybe Jeff's a serious contender, January, February. But just just to beat the drum so loud right now is just kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I think my favorite take on it was after the game. Edwin James, who was at that game Sunday, uh, tweeted a picture of him in Saturday and um, uh, said something to the effect of, "There's been five 
presidents uh, who have been elect five men who have been elected president who have never previously held public office, and he lists them. Obviously, the latest one being Donald Trump. But um, it, it just goes to show that you know experience isn't everything. There's a lot of coaches in this league who who have experience, but who might not necessarily be great at the job. So let's let's let this play out a little bit before we point our critiques at Jeff Saturday. Um, anything left to add about Saturday before we move on to Matt Ryan? Because we got to talk about him too. I think we've beaten that to death. <laughs> All right. Uh, Matt Ryan back at the helm, 21 of 28 for 222 yards, one touchdown, zero turnovers, uh, 109.5 passer rating. He orchestrated his fourth game-winning drive of the season. That's all four of the Colts wins in his 46th game-winning drive of his career. Mike, uh, Ryan clearly gives the Colts the best chance to win. I'm glad Saturday uh, was able to make the decision to plug him back into the lineup. Yeah, at some level, you're not really happy about that, are you? I'm conflicted. I, I'm very I, conflicted. I, and I, a lot of, I bet a lot of Colts fans are, and I totally understand that. But if, if you're in that locker room, if you're a head coach, and the GM, you're playing to win. You, you know the old one and zero. That that's what that's 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 what you play for. What was interesting is how this quarterback thing played out all week. Jeff comes in on Monday and announces Sam Ellinger is his starting quarterback because he just got in the building. And besides that, Matt Ryan's not practicing. And Matt Ryan did not practice Wednesday. So as far as the new coach knew, he didn't have Matt Ryan at his disposal. Uh, Matt Ryan practices on Thursday and took the bulk of the uh, first team reps. And then they talk after he and uh, Ryan and Saturday talk after the practice. And he said, I, I feel good. And I guess Jeff said, well, how do you want to, how would you like to do this? And Ryan said, the only way I know, know to do it is to go all in and to be the guy. So they, the decision was then to, to see how Matt Ryan practiced on Friday because he could have come in Friday morning and the arm just felt awful from, from the heavy workload on Thursday. So then at some point Friday, uh, it's so awkward. Sometime Friday, then Saturday said, sometime Friday, the new coach said, <laughs> the new coach said, you know, how do you feel? And, and Ryan said, I'm, I'm good to go. And, they made the decision. I think maybe Thursday, Jeff kind of got the impression that if, if if he's healthy, he's my quarterback. He gives them the best chance to win, and, and there's no argument. There is zero arguments over that. What's funny is I go back to our presser on Friday, and we were, we were asking Jeff about the quarterback, and I think the question was, so with Sam being the starter, is Matt going to be the backup? Or is Nick? He said, yeah, Sam and Matt are our two guys. We never specifically asked him if Sam Ellinger was starting. That's on us. We did, he, he, did, you know, he didn't lie to us. We just didn't ask the specific question. I'd really like to know what he would have said. He probably had a competitive. He, he would have said, you know, we're going we're gonna to kind of huddle as a staff and see where we're at and because you want to keep the Raiders guessing. But there's no question. Jeff Saturday, again, he's played 14 years. He, he knows what winning quarterback play looks like. And despite all of the issues with, with Ryan, the sacks, most of which weren't on him, the interceptions, which were on him, the fumbles, which were on him, he knew that he gave him the best chance to win. And that... That will be that's got to be what it is moving forward. The biggest problem the Colts created on their own is a couple weeks ago when Frank said, "Right now, Sam is our quarterback for the rest of the season." Because keep in mind, Ryan was not going to play these last two games, or the the, the 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 Washington game and New England. He couldn't have played because of the shoulder. So what what they should have said is, right now. Matt can't play the shoulder. Sam, we're we're going to go with Sam, and then we'll reevaluate. That's all you have to say. Uh, but they went back to Matt, which they had to do 
the players were shocked when they went away from Ryan. Although again, he wasn't going to play for two games, so that that's that that's a reality. He gives him the best chance. He's a leader. He's he he he's got that presence. And this thing may end up seven nine and one whatever, but he gives him the best chance to make something out of this season. Yeah, and, and it's no shot against Ellinger. I mean, he he's made a lot of progress as a as an individual player, and I think he can have a good career in this league, either as a backup or a guy who's able to start from time to time. I've compared him in the past to Taylor Heineke, someone who's kind of a gamer. You get him in there, and he he can make some things happen. But at this point in time, Matt Ryan is clearly uh, the better quarterback and, and showed it on Sunday. Let's talk about this offensive line because, again, I get it. It was Raiders, fewest sacks in the NFL, just all in all, not a good defense. They have Max Crosby um, on that defensive line, and that's about it. But still, the Colts have played bad teams uh, in the past this season did not look this good. Um, from left to right, the lineup was Bernard Raymond, uh, Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, Will Fries got the start over Matt Pryor, who had been in there, and then Braden Smith. Ryan sacked just one time, and you could argue that was his fault for hanging on to the ball too long on that third and one. Uh, Ryan was consistently given time in the pocket to uh, go through his reads, and the Colts rushed for over 200 yards the first time this season. I get it. Matt Ryan helped out with that, with that 39-yarder. But still, Jonathan Taylor... 22 carries for 147 yards and a touchdown. His first 100-yard game since week one. Um, take away Matt Ryan's 39-yard jailbreak, and the Colts running back still averaged 6.2 yards per carry. The offense finished with 415 total yards. The third time this season they topped 400. Mike, what a difference it makes when the offensive line um, performs at least near expectations. And not only like they were, there were times where they were just blowing the Raiders off the ball, pushing them two or three yards backwards. People were really trashing Frank Wright on how bad of a play caller he is and things didn't work. And I defy anyone to tell me how you call plays when you're giving up 35 sacks and you're getting your running backs hit in the backfield. I just don't know how you do it. It's just, it's incredible, not really how well an offense can perform when, like we said early, you pass protecting and run the ball. And what we saw with JT, the quality running backs behind a good line, you give them 22 carries and they're going to break one, two, three plays. Not necessarily 66 yards, but, but the really good ones can do that. And he did that routinely last year. So we'll see where this goes. But the the fact that they – that they they got did did anyone notice Bernhard Ryman yesterday? No, <laughs> they really, and I thought they played really really well. And Will Fries, I'll tell you what I noticed about Will Fries is there were probably a half a dozen times when the defensive linemen were shoving at him because he played, he didn't play up to the whistle. He played through the whistle. He played Quentin Nelson ball, and as long as you don't take it that extra step, that's what you want. We'll see if this carries over, but at least it wasn't the same old, same old. And, you know, Matt Ryan didn't all of a sudden gain more elusiveness in the pocket. You forget about that 39-yard run. But when you can when you can at least play offensive line like that, you've got a chance. Yeah, hopefully Ryman's able to build on that. Hopefully, for, I mean, do you think this – they finally found their offensive line combination now with Ryman at left tackle, Fries at right guard, and, of course, the three kind of cornerstones who are getting paid on that line. Is this the right mixture um, for this team going forward? Yes, because I don't think anything else is – I mean, I guess they could put Dennis Kelly back at left tackle, but uh, I don't think they do that now. They, what was crazy is that when Braden Smith, Braden Smith went out one snap uh, with whatever he had, they put Matt Pryor at right tackle and not Dennis Kelly, which surprised me. But it's just find the right guys. Now, maybe we'll be talking here next week when Philadelphia comes in and blows their doors off with pressure. I don't know. But for at least a week, they found they found the right combination. It, it 
it, it, it performed well. Not only was he sacked once, I think there was just one quarterback pressure, which was the sack. So it, it's so easy to play quarterback when, when you've got that at your disposal. Final takeaway here. The defense finished the game with a key stop. Gilmore ended it with the pass deflection, just like he did in Denver. Um, Gilmore has been so clutch for this team this year. Uh, Okereke's pass breakup should not be forgotten either. He had nine tackles in this one. Great game um, for the fourth-year linebacker. And while consistent pass rush is still an issue, I mean, there were drives where Derek Carr just had all day back there. The Colts made the key plays in the key moments when it mattered. I, I Hopefully sometime this week when we talk to Gilmore, I just want to talk to him briefly about what is the mindset of a corner when it, it's you against the other team's best guy. You know, it, it, it didn't happen against Washington the jump ball that McLaren came down with. Keep in mind that Heineke had like 10 seconds in the pocket. That's so, a key difference there. The Colts brought the all-out blitz, exact, and Carr exact, just has to toss it up. Ex, but, but it's a great throw. And if Gilmore's not right there, it's a touchdown. But the idea that it's – it's because earlier in the game and throughout the game, Gilmore didn't have Adams that, that much one-on-one. It was, it was other guys. But when it, when it came time to do it, they said – Gilly, you've got that guy, and basically we win or we don't. And that's why he makes the big bucks, because Gilly's proving that even at his age, uh, he is one of the best in the NFL. Need new windows? Let the hometown team help. Hometown Windows and Doors is Central Indiana's premier locally owned full-service Anderson dealer with master installers. From design to installation, we handle it all, carrying nationally known brands like Anderson with more options and competitive pricing. Call us direct and get 25% off your windows if you buy within the next 60 days. Please contact your hometown team today. We are Central Indiana's premier locally owned full-service Anderson dealer. National brand, hometown feel. All right, Mike, let's move on to injuries because, unfortunately, Quiddy Pay left the game early in this one. It looks like his ankle uh, is still bothering him. Really unfortunate because I think at this point it's very clear he is um, the best edge pass rusher the Colts have on this team, and he's pretty darn good against the run, too. Do we have any update on Quiddy's health? No, what we don't understand, and Jeff didn't really have any information on it, is he indicated he heard it on Sunday, but Quiddy practiced Wednesday and Thursday, then he didn't practice on Friday. So we were assuming that he did something at the end of Thursday to aggravate it or whatever. He was questionable for the game, and then he played. So we'll see. But this is another one of those, kind of like with Jonathan Taylor and his ankle. When you're such a power player like Quiddy Pay is, the more you play on a, on, a, on a tender ankle, the more you're just going to re-aggravate it. But I'm guessing he'll be limited in practice this week, and hope, hopefully he can play at some level on Sunday. Yeah, they're going to need him against that Eagles team. Uh, there were a couple of players who left and then were able to come back. You already mentioned Braden Smith. Linebacker Zaire Franklin was another one of them. He left to be checked out in the blue medical tent but returned, thankfully, because he led the team with 10 tackles. Franklin is currently second in the NFL and tackles. Uh, I get there's a Monday night game tonight, but boy, that is one of the best, most team-friendly contracts in the NFL right now. Was well, a seventh-round pick gets a second contract? How often does that happen? He's played great. He he has uh, piling up tackles, making plays, decent in coverage. Uh, one of the better feel-good stories uh, this year. And Again, he's taken up a lot more of a role with, with Shaq being out, but kudos to uh, Sire Franklin. And let's go ahead and talk, talk about Shaq Leonard uh, being out. Placed on IR Friday, like we mentioned at the top of the show. Apparently suffered a setback in Wednesday's practice, so he's going to miss at least four more games. But, uh, Mike, the understanding is that there's a chance he could be done for the season. I will be surprised if he plays again this year. I just... I think, to, and I've not a lot of stuff going on. I, apparently, he's going to get a second opinion on the back, which that's what you do. I mean, where, whether it's going to be here or somewhere else, if you're if you're any level of player and something's not right, you have it looked at. The most concerning thing, and he told us we talked to him on Thursday, where he just sort of said, you know, 
that nerve still isn't firing in my calf. Well, that that's what that surgery was supposed to take care of. The, the one in, I think you said it was June 9th. That's a concern. Anytime you have back surgery, it's a concern. He's not looked like himself. He's not had that that burst to where he's just playing, which I understand. Uh, I will be surprised if he plays again this year. I think he has probably a, I don't know, a follow-up surgery. If it's not firing, it's not. It's, if it's not firing in November from a from a June surgery, what makes you think it's going to be firing in January? So get it addressed again. You only hope that this can be fixed with another procedure, another surgery. I hate to use the word procedure because it's surgery. Uh, it would be because the alternative is not very is not even the least bit uh, pleasing to think about. So hopefully the next surgery will take care of what's been a persistent problem for him. Yeah, I sure hope so because I mean this is maybe my favorite player on the Colts. I love watching him play out there. I, really, the maniac was the best way to describe how he played. Just seventy four snaps this year between. You know, the the late start to the season coming off of the surgery, and then he first came back, he has that crushing hit right to his face, broken nose, um, concussion, bleeding all over the field. I mean, it, it, you know, you don't even want to say it, but the, it's got to creep into your head that he a nerve, he might never be the same player again. I mean, you, you certainly hope so. Um, it's too early to start worrying about things like that. Um, hopefully he can get right over the course of the next year or so. But it's not like it's an ACL or a broken bone, one of those things that's kind of become routine. I mean, a nerve that starts in your back and goes down and impacts your calf. I'm no doctor, and for good reason, because I don't understand how that works. Um, but this is some scary stuff going on with Leonard. I'm not sure how you cannot think that. I mean, you have to think that, you know, they've already had – the June surgery to address this. That's why you had the surgery. And that's why he went through all the extensive rehab and, and getting back and, and, and practicing and playing. And basically you're back to square one. You're back to where you, I assume you're back to where you were, uh, in, in, in OTAs when he couldn't practice and you decided to have surgery. So it's, it, it's not a good thing. Hopefully, you know, you can do amazing things medically these days. Boy, when, when it's a back, you just don't know. Uh, so we'll keep our fingers crossed on, on what the future is for him. Absolutely. I'll be sending prayers out to Darius for, you know, the physical health. And also, this is a guy who opened up about how mentally and emotionally challenging last year was for him. I can't imagine this year being any easier. Um, let's go ahead and hear... Look at the AFC South. Titans continue to have a stranglehold on the division after a 17-10 win over the Denver Broncos. They did this despite missing several key starters on defense, including their star defensive tackle Jeffrey Simmons. The Colts still in second place with, with a 4-5-1 and one record. Jaguars fall to 3-7 and seven after a 27-17 loss in Kansas City. And the Houston Texans still have just one win on the year after a 24-16 to 16 loss to the Giants. So they're currently on a fast track to that first overall pick. Mike, let's discuss the Colts' expectations for the rest of the year to wrap up the show here. Uh, I'm just kind of wondering, where does the team go from here? Just a few days ago, a lot of Colts fans, me included, had accepted the losing season and had our eyes set on a high draft pick. Now, with a new coach, the Colts pick up a win and are technically on the bubble for a wild card spot at 4-5-1 and one, as things stand currently. Is this a team capable, in your opinion, of going on a run and making the playoffs? Or are they going to win just enough to finish round 500, missing out on both the postseason and a high draft pick? Probably, probably the latter, probably. If you look at the – I mean, they've already squandered the easy part, the, the quote, easy part of their schedule the first seven games, that, that's when they had to make hay. They didn't. Uh, you got Philadelphia coming up. You've got Dallas still, the Giants. Uh, Minnesota. Minnesota, Pittsburgh. I mean, so I kind of thought that going into the Raider game, if, if they lose to the Raiders, I saw maybe two more wins. 
you know, P- Pittsburgh and Houston. Uh, so who knows? I mean, it, anyone who says they know how this these last seven games are going to play out, they're just guessing. Because one thing I asked Jeff Saturday about today is so many times when there's a change, whether it's the coach or even the quarterback, you get an, you get an immediate boost. There's an emotional boost. And maybe you have a game like Sunday and then you come back and then how do you how do you kind of build on that because the emotion's gone or not as strong? And he just said you you, you stick to the process. He's you know he's ch- channeling his inner Tony Dungy and even Frank Reich. But I, I I just think the hill is so steep to climb. I think you can forget about the AFC South. They're they're too far behind. And there's some teams kind of getting their act together. In the AFC, although all of a sudden the AFC West Colts are three and zero against the AFC West. Go figure. I mean, go figure. And one four was it one four and one in the division. So yeah, I don't know. I think well, I think what you said they're going to be just good enough to keep to keep us looking in December. Well, you know if if these twelve things happen, they've got a chance. But from having from having been through a one in fifteen. And three and thirteen and two and fourteen and all that. I, I understand it messes up the draft for next year. I understand that, but no one should have to go through one and fifteen, two and fourteen because December is awful. And the light from what you might get in April doesn't shine bright enough to, to help December be more easy to to deal with. So. I think they're going to keep everybody entertained. I think they're going to be respectable and fall short just because that's where they've put themselves. You know, uh, other than avoiding, you know, just a miserable couple months at the end of the year, is there some sort of immeasurable value in finishing that way rather than just, you know, losing all, losing out or losing all but one game? Is there some kind of momentum, especially with – a new coach who at least for now we have to assume it's going to be Jeff Saturday going into next year, just because, you know, we have no better guess on who else it might be. Is there something they can gain, even if it's not a playoff spot at the end of this year, or is it just kind of help you in the moment? It helps you in the moment. There, there won't be any carryover from going, I get my math messed, mixed up, six ten and one or, or seven, eight and one, no, seven, nine and one, whatever. No, I don't think so. Because if they end up missing the playoffs, which they probably will, who knows how much of this team comes back? Let's let's take it, and, and this could be David be good to get in on this. What happens if Ryan plays well the rest of the way? You get the running game going, and all of a sudden protection. And Ryan, all of a sudden, he shows you that you know when you've got things in place, he can still play at this level. Is he back next year? Now it's going to cost you. You know, whatever it is, thirty-five million, or I guess it's yeah, cl- close to that. Seventeen more million if you do that, or or do you just blow the roster up and, and go to the draft and find a guy at s- some level, and, and maybe not bring back some of your star players? I don't know, but I, I don't think that showing being really competitive and winning games you shouldn't and beating beating the Giants and the Chargers and whatever, I don't think there's any carryover just because I think there's going to be change at the end that will nullify nullify any, any momentum you may have. But it's going to be very, very entertaining down the stretch. It sure will, whatever happens. And to answer your question there about blowing it up or not, I think that entirely depends on if Chris Ballard is back. I think if Chris Ballard's back, he continues to try and build on this roster, especially if it shows the life at the end of the year, the offensive line finally gets it together and um, there, you know, shows that, okay, maybe these guys aren't um, worth just shipping off or get trying to get out of their contracts. Um, but either way, they're going to have to find a way to get something in the draft this year, either at quarterback and you keep Ryan and the guy sits for a year or a left tackle if you don't feel like Ryman can be your guy. they got to get something Heck, another defensive end. They're still searching for that consistent pressure. And um, I thought Tony Dungy made a really, made a really, made a really. All right, sorry about that, folks. A little technical difficulties there. But as I was saying, 
something that Tony Dungy said earlier this week. I was, I believe, it was on the Dan Patrick show, but he was talking about you know the 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 strangeness of the Jeff Saturday hire and giving up on the season and and tanking and the idea of tanking. Not that he was accusing the accusing the Colts of doing such. But he kind of made the point that Patrick Mahomes was 10th pick in the draft. You know, the, it wasn't a first, you know, top five pick or anything like that. The, the highest drafted quarterback in that draft was Mitch Trubisky at two. Um, you look a couple years ago, Josh Allen, I believe, was the third quarterback taken behind Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold. Lamar Jackson went, I believe, 32nd. I think he was the last pick in that first round. So just because you guarantee yourself a high draft pick does not mean you're going to come away with the right guy. There are um, um, a, a, a lot of different ways to acquire a terrific quarterback through the draft. And, you know, just because you lose out for the rest of the year and get that draft pick does not guarantee yourself that player. So, um, and again, going back to Mahomes, the Chiefs traded up from somewhere in the 20s to 10 to take him in that draft. Deshaun Watson went two picks later at 12. I get all the stuff off the field, but on the field, he's been a terrific player. So I think, you know, that's what I would point to at this point um, to kind of give yourself some hope. And get, that's what I'm doing to give myself hope is even if the Colts finish 7-9-1 and end up kind of in no man's land where they don't make the playoffs and they don't get a high draft pick, that doesn't mean that they can't come away and find their quarterback through this draft. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up here on the show. Thank you so much for listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Follow us on Twitter for news and notes throughout the week at Colts Blue Zone. Follow Mike at mchapel51. Um, I deleted my Twitter because it was starting to give me a headache. But you can follow Dave Griffiths, who will be back on Thursday, at DaveG underscore sports. Um, and th again, thank you so much for listening, Colts fan, and sticking with us throughout the year. We'll be back on Thursday to preview their game against Nick Sirianni, former offensive coordinator of the Indianapolis coach Colts and his undefeated Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs>